0: The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
1: Ch-ch-chumba.
0: ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void. we're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for the, the Douglas, Douglas Coleman, Coleman Show. Show. Mr. Smooth and Savvy is joined by guests from all walks of life. From the the entertainment entertainment industry, industry, to to authors, to political and social commentators, commentators. the famous, and not so famous, the controversial, and the light and fluffy, we have it all. Now, here's Douglas Douglas Coleman.
1: Okay, please welcome to the Douglas Coleman Show, Jim Hepburn. Hi, Jim, how are you? I'm good,
0: Doug. How are you?
1: Doing fine, thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. Are you related to Audrey or uh, Catherine?
0: No, you know, I I wish I was, but uh, it's uh, (laughs) no relation of any kind, though. But I often introduce myself that way when I have to spell my name over any kind of phone call.
1: Well, you know, I just thought I'd ask. It would have been a a good conversation starter, but we'll move on to something (laughs) else. Uh, so you got a book out called "Hunted by Fire." It says debut, so this is your first published book.
0: It certainly is, yeah.
1: Okay, why did you decide to write a book?
0: Well, it's well, it's a young adult fantasy book, and it's mostly geared towards young men. And and you know, it's it's so hard to find good fiction out there. I've, I found at least when I was when I was a teenager, you know, going through high school and trying to, uh, you know trying to find good stuff to read and and occupy yourself with because you blast through all the well-known stuff pretty quickly. You blast through Harry Potter and and Percy Jackson and and Aragon and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, and then as I got older, I really wanted to kind of write something that my younger self would have liked and then hopefully that other young people would really like too, and help fill that gap a little. seems like it's uh, seems like it's
1: there. Is that what you do? I mean, uh, I would think one book, you're going to have to do something else to support yourself, right?
0: Yeah, I know it, it started off as a, I, I have a full-time job that I really enjoy uh, full-time, but uh, no, the, the book started off as just a hobby that I would just do every day I get home from work and write a little bit every day, every day, and it just kind of started piling up into a book and yeah, maybe the dream would be one day that you get enough out there and you get enough people reading it and enough people enjoying it that it it spirals into something new, which would be amazing. But uh, for now, it's just nice to to get it out there and uh, and to hear people's feedback.
1: Okay. Well, who who did you read when you were growing up? You said Harry Potter.
0: Yeah. Well, I was naming uh, several of the big the big franchises there. Harry Potter, Percy Jackson by Rick Riordan, uh, Aragon by Christopher Paolini was really big uh, where I am. But I would I would read anything and everything. My uh, I, I would go to the library at school. I'd have to find, you know, I'd scour the shelves looking for stuff. You know, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and even other stuff that you just have to take a try on because there's just nothing. I, I had a hard time finding stuff to consume, <laughs> I guess that uh, that could keep me going. And and even my parents, they would go to the bookstores all the time and they would scour the bookshelves. They'd ask they'd ask the the bookstore attendants. You know, hey, what's good for young, what's good for young boys? What's good for 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, and so on? And, and they would take any recommendations they could find. I read everything, though. Everything, as long as it was fantasy-oriented, it, it had swords and fantasy and, and horses and stuff like that. It was it was up my alley. Uh,
1: I want to read something that's on your bio here. It says, it's always been his dream to inspire young men and women to pursue STEM projects. What is that?
0: Well, yeah, that's true. So that's that's relate, that's related to a bigger... It's kind of a bigger idea that I had. You know, it seems like when young kids go through school, and I don't know if this happened to you or not, Doug, when you were back when you were in high school or elementary school there, but you seem to get classified really quick, I would say, as either an arts kid or a science kid, depending on what kind of aptitude you show for each subject. And I, I was always an arts kid. I, I I was really good at English and and, you know, draw i guess drama to some extent but uh, english was my was really was a really good subject for me and the sciences so the maths and the the biologies and the chemistries you have to really work at those i find but there's so much benefit in those subjects that that some kids really gravitate towards some kids who who think really logically and and, and kind of grasp them really quick there's but there's lots of great stuff in there that i think arts kids maybe uh, don't necessarily appreciate right off the get-go and they even probably you know they might even classify themselves as just an arts kid really early and they they think you know maybe going through high school when they're thinking about other things to do after you know afterwards where they're going to go with their life oh you know math's too hard for me science science is not my thing they just kind of write it off but there's so much benefit there that can help you in life and that could uh, that could really that could really change your life in a lot of good ways and it just takes practice and it's pra- it takes practice for everybody part of the reason why i wrote Hunted by Fire was to try to help inspire some of those English kids who might really like reading the book to maybe just try to go back to it once more or twice more and and see if they could uh, yeah see if they could try it again and see if they catch anything they didn't hit the first time.
1: Well, it's a two-way kind of a concept because when I grew up, my parents' generation did not encourage me or anyone else, for that matter, to pursue a career in the arts because Mm -hmm. in their mind that you can't make a living at it and it's a very tough road now the the tough road part is still there but I think people's attitude has changed a little bit more and particularly now with internet and with there is a lot more opportunity self publishing books uh, home studios for musicians all that stuff that didn't exist when I was a kid uh, the problem is that with the opportunities, it does give people, I think, a certain false sense of expectation that, mm. oh, well, I can do this now because I can, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make a living doing it. So it's equally still as difficult. It's just there's more starting gates, I guess would be the the analogy yeah. to use, right? so yeah no
0: i i totally agree with that it's uh it, it's much yeah you're right it's there's much more there's many more ways to get involved in it it is i would agree with you also that it's probably a lot a little bit more encouraged in a sense there's lots of ways you can go out there i think but there's uh but yeah it's just as hard and i think there's there's lots of things you got to do to make yourself successful and, and to build yourself up as an artist and, and i think a lot of that takes time and while you're doing that you might as well be trying to find something else you can enjoy that you can actually support yourself with while you're trying to make art on the side until it, until maybe it does blow up or, or do something like that, right? So it, uh, yeah. Well, so I think that's, that's the trick. I, I
1: think that's the trick because, you know, you can find a job doing anything, but you have to try to find something that is somewhat interesting because I didn't for 20 years. I worked at a job that paid good money, but I was, I could care less about it. And in Mm -hmm. fact, it was so demanding that it stifled my creative ability for 20 years because I couldn't, you know, I sort of had to use my left brain 100% so my right brain shut down. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it took me a while to decompress to get back to my creative endeavors. I mean, better late than never. But it would be nice if there was a better balance. You know, people could work at some kind of a job. I just talked to some guy. Uh, on my show who uh, managed to find a job with the government in the creative arts which I thought wow oh that's a dream job you know you get paid with government security of a job and yet you're working in the arts and I thought wow, that's you did well. That's interesting yeah that's what what does he do? Uh, He's a director at Children's Art Foundation something something okay. gotcha. <laughs> state state government in uh, New Jersey and well he was just saying that even during the pandemic they weren't shut down when a lot of well most of the venues for musicians and film and everything were kind of shut down so he mm-hmm. managed to keep his job right through the pandemic and I thought wow that was great very lucky for him yeah
0: good for him i I don't know if there's a lot of, to your point there i think there's lots of jobs out there that could drain you for sure it'd be it'd be you have to find one if you if you, ha- you want to do art on the side you'd have to definitely find one that frees you up your mental capacity at least a, at least a little bit on your spare time that doesn't uh, that doesn't drain it all from you as mm-hmm. you said there with your experience
1: well so is this what you want to do i mean do you want to eventually be a full-time writer is that is that possible for you to do
0: yeah, I'd love to think it's possible. It's it's definitely the it's definitely the goal in a lot of ways. It's uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm in it for the long haul in a lot of senses. I um, I found a lot of inspiration for myself in writing and that that I haven't really ever found anywhere else. And it's something I look forward to every day to do to create these stories that that are are slowly being read and are being reviewed by people out there, which is amazing. And yeah, I'm in it for the long haul in that sense. It'll be it'll be a while, I think, before maybe before it gets to be super well known, but at the moment it's, it's definitely the passion and it's been, it's been the passion for several years now and it will continue to be, I think the, uh, actually right now I'm writing the second book and I'm al- I'm almost, I'm very close to being done. This will be, this will be a series is what my, my plan is for it. And it's probably about, it's about 80% done. I would say 85% done and then it'll move on to the, the editing and, the and, uh, the beta reading and all that good stuff. But, yeah, for sure. So that's the plan. I'd be that'd be great if that happened.
1: Okay. Well, I'm looking at your picture on your bio. You don't look that old, so I think you have time.
0: Yeah, I like to think so. If I keep playing my cards right.
1: <laughs> so, are you self-published or did someone pick this up?
0: This is self-published for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, whether it, whether it gets traditionally published one day uh, would be it would be great too. It would depend on what that road kind of takes takes me down, but. For now, I just I wanted to get it out there as soon as possible and, and, to, and to put it in the real world and, and see what happened. So, it uh, yeah, self-published was the way to go, in my sense.
1: Well, give us a synopsis of the book.
0: Synopsis, yeah, sure. Well, so like I said, it's, it's young adult fantasy. It's a uh, sword and board sort of era. And it's about a young 15-year-old boy. But in his world, humanity is ruled over by the tyrannical dragon gods. And they've subjugated humans for thousands of years. And But this boy, though unlike most others in his hometown, he feels like something's off. He feels like what's happening to them maybe isn't right. Uh, so he dreams of rebelling, but but he's stuck because he's young, he's 15, and he needs to hide those feelings while trying to find out who he's gonna be and find his place in the world amongst all these people who don't believe the same thing as him and, and, and somewhere, maybe someplace where he won't get found out. But, and he's not, this boy's not combat trained, though he wants to be. And he's maybe charismatic or super socially astute maybe like some of his friends but he's very clever uh, he's got a knack for building and inventing and and science and engineering and and coming up in his hometown is a famous uh, tournament that gets held by the gods each year where you know they, they they go through and they try to find the brightest young people and so this boy he jumps at his chance to enter just to really show the town and everybody else what he can do and what he's capable of but there's lots of there's lots of dangerous people involved and there's going to be some, um, yeah, he's going to have to get gritty and, and get resourceful, I suppose, if he's going to be able to find his way through this and, and get what he wants out of it and find some security.
1: If you were to compare this book to one that's already out there that people might know, which one would you compare it to? One
0: that's out there, that's out. You know, I would say that it would be it'd be probably, I think, most similar in a sense to Aragon by Christopher Paolini. Um it follows a young boy, and, and there's, like I said, the, they're similar ages, the main characters, and, and it's a bit of a, there's a long journey ahead. And both characters, I think, had overcome similar struggles of trying to hide things at the very beginning, and and they're going to develop that in different ways. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'd, I'd say it's very similar, maybe, maybe in terms of the, of the feel at the beginning, but of course where they go is very different, and the worlds are very different, but I'd say it's probably the most similar, I would think. Okay. If you really enjoy Aragorn, you're probably gonna re- also going to really enjoy this book.
1: All right, now you said that uh, you've written another one. It this is going to be a series. How many do you anticipate will be in this series?
0: Probably, you know, I'll I'll be writing this until I'm in my 40s, I would think, maybe, but uh, you know, I'm thinking at least there's going to be at least 5 or 6. And if it's if something wonderful happens along the way there and it, and it starts getting picked up more, it, it might evolve. It just all kind of depends, right? Because sometimes you sit down at the writing table and you have, you have an intention to write out, you know, say a chapter that's you know 10 or 20 pages long, and then it turns into all these other all these other chapters that evolve from the first one, and it goes in unexpected directions, right? The story that you that you think about in your head that you then intend to put on paper. So right now the intent is is five or six, like I said, and if it evolves into more, if I yeah if, there, if there's places for the story to go they're exciting and fresh and and entertaining then that's that's where it'll go absolutely
1: okay uh the book is out now
0: yeah yep, for sure
1: how long has it been out
0: uh, i came out october so it's actually almost a full year oh, almost well. a year
1: okay are you getting some good reviews
0: yeah yeah all the reviews have been exceedingly positive which is so encouraging um and, and the ones that to me the ones i really look for when i when i scroll through them i really look for anything from From young people, uh, and young men or women, really, in between the ages of of twelve or sixteen, somewhere in there, those are the ones that I, I really really like, and uh, I really like to read those carefully, to make sure that, uh, make sure they enjoyed it, and then also that uh, you know, and hear their feedback. That's so important too in developing the story down the road.
1: Well, Jim, we're going to wind this down. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, my guest is Jim Hepburn, and the book is called *Hunted by Fire*. Do you have a website that you want to give out?
0: Uh, No, I don't really have a website quite yet, but you can find me on Instagram or on Facebook. I'm author Jim Hepburn on both. Okay. Uh, No, yeah, just one full full phrase there, author Jim Hepburn. And yeah, I'm I'm on either actively all the time. So that's where you can find me.
1: Okay, great. Well, thanks again. It was nice talking to you and uh, best of luck with the books.
0: Yeah, thanks, Doug. Good talking to you too and have a great day.
1: You're listening
0: to Mr. Smooth and Savvy, right here on The Douglas Coleman Show. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Douglas Coleman's Don't Do a Podcast is a dryly humorous rant about Douglas's pet peeve the unrelenting torrent of podcasts hitting the web on a constant basis. As technology has put podcasting within the reach of anyone, many wholly unqualified people have taken the plunge. This witty polemic tries to persuade them from broadcasting their triple using Douglas's brand of sarcastic humor. Now on Amazon, only 99 cents.
1: Are you an independent musician? Hey, hey, this is Ray Powers. Don't touch anything. You've got it right
0: where you need it. Tuned in to The Douglas Coleman Show. You heard me.
1: Okay, please welcome to The Douglas Coleman Show, Dennis Feese. Hi, Dennis. How are you?
2: I'm doing well, Doug. How about you?
1: Doing fine. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Nice to have you here.
2: It's good to be here.
1: You've got a book out called Love, Pride, and Murder. How many books have you published at this point?
2: This is actually my second novel. Um, the last one was published, oh, a few years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. I was still working at that time. I'm retired now from what would be called a, ready jo- a, ready, uh, a daily job.
1: A regular job, yeah. <laughs> regular job, yeah. Actually, as a writer... If you were working something else, uh, we used to call it a real job, as opposed to being yeah, a writer. correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, why did you decide to start writing?
2: Well, I've been writing all my life. It's not something that is new. I, even in my work, um, you know, my 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 real job, uh, I was writing quite a bit. Sometimes for my own amusement. Sometimes, uh, you know, something having to do with the job. I had several bosses that. Uh, Discovered that I had a way of putting words together, and I would write things for them—you know, letters and odds and ends. In fact, I'm still doing it. Um, but in terms of writing something creative, creatively, um, again, I've, I've been doing it for quite a while. Not a lot of it has been published. Some, some poetry, but uh, as far as writing fiction, uh, that's that's been just within you know the last few years. Actually, this particular novel. Was a pandemic creation. So it was living through the pandemic, you're, you're tasked with doing things that you might not have done before because you didn't really have the time for it. And that was certainly the case with me.
1: Well, I think that was the case with a lot of people because uh, during the pandemic, we were really busy at this show and we created a new show. Yeah, that uh, sort of featured authors because people were locked in and they got around to writing that book they'd been meaning to write. uh, Exactly. There was a sort of pandemic of new authors on the scene over (laughs) the last three years.
2: You're saying it's viral in some way. Well, it was,
1: yeah. I mean, uh, your choices are kind of limited to what you can do when you you can't leave the house. And writing seems to be uh, something that was a good occupier for people. Well,
2: uh, why
1: don't you tell us a little bit about this book?
2: Okay. Okay. I guess it's a it is a uh, a murder mystery. It takes place in New England. Uh, the the telling of the story it's first person, so the telling of the story is by the central character, a guy by the name of Thomas Stone, and he's a um, he works out of Concord, New Hampshire is where he grew up, where he's lived most of his life, but he's had a life outside of New Hampshire. He was in the military and got involved in some interesting sorts of things that come out during the book. A lot of it is secretive, uh, but it helps him during his uh, investigations because he lives in Concord. He gets involved in a lot of, a lot of state government issues. Uh, he has a good friend who, uh, they grew up together, who was, um, an attorney is an attorney. Uh, so they sort of play off of each other in, in, in their, uh, both of their pursuits. But uh, the story itself takes place because of the uh, a, a young lady comes to his office looking for some help. Uh, she had a, a fiancé who died in an automobile accident, seemingly in, in the northern part of the state, in a on a snowy uh, night. But she doesn't believe it really was um, a, an accident. She believes that it was something else. There was something else going on. And she can't get any support from the police department. She can't, can't get any support from uh, support from the family and pursuing it. So she comes to a private investigator sort of out of desperation. And uh, that's where the story begins. It follows, uh, without giving too much away, it, it follows the path of a lot of mysteries, I suppose, although it is somewhat different because it doesn't fall into the, the cozy mystery kind of category. And it also doesn't fall into the, you know, sort of the Los Angeles uh, alcoholic. Uh, private investigator of yesteryear. And there's a lot of that that's out there. This guy is somewhere in between that. Uh, He enjoys wine, you know, not in excess. Uh, The story has some of the elements of a cozy mystery, but it really doesn't end that way. So I think it's unique. And I think that's part of the part of the charm and and the appeal of the novel.
1: Was any of this uh, sort of inspired from real life events that you may have had?
2: That that question has been asked before, and um, I'm, you know, without being too, you know, to try. It, it, as far as the, the special ops piece of it, if you haven't read it, then you're not really you don't really know what I'm talking about. But that's one of the questions that people who've read it ask me, and that part of it is is fantasy. It's just uh, it's just fiction. Um, some of the other stuff, you know, in, in my life, a lot of the people that you'll find in the novel. Uh, were inspired by people that I've I have known or met, not in the sense that it's a copy of them. It's, it's simply that uh, some of the ways they did things, you know, were are sometimes reflected in the characters. And then in my own case, I was a, uh, an operations manager in in some fairly large companies, from uh, you know sort of entry level uh, up to a vice president of operations at one point. And so the way I managed operations uh, tends to be reflected a little bit in the book as well. So, yeah, to answer your question, some of it is comes out of real life.
1: So perhaps they were like composite characters?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what it was.
1: Okay. Yeah, we don't want to give too much away of the book. We want people to buy it after all. Let's, and enjoy it.
2: Enjoy it. Yeah.
1: Well, let's go back to your other book. Uh, your other book was called Journal of a Little Soul. Is that correct?
2: That was... Yeah, that was the name of it. It was a more more of a personal kind of journey. It wasn't a mystery certainly. Um it came about as a result of uh, some things in my life that were happening that uh, you know I I started out writing it just just as self-reflection and then I decided that I I turn it into fiction. The people that have read it and enjoyed it have um uh, have said that it was you know it was well done and in some cases I had one one uh, woman that told me that she really it really helped her because some of the things that I was describing had been you know ha- had happened in her life and it, it really helped her to get through some of the issues that she was dealing with so it is uh, it is more of a romance I guess if you had to put a label on it um, it's not like Nicholas Sparks or anything that's quite that intense but but it has a, has a very personal feel. It also has a spiritual component. So very different from this murder mystery.
1: After you wrote your first book, what was your road about publishing? Did you self publish?
2: No, I the the first book was published by an outfit that went bankrupt. <laughs> maybe, maybe that says something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but um but no that it was covered the cost of it was covered by the publisher, the first one. The second one was what's called a hybrid. So it, there there was some some monies that were involved on my side and some monies on the publisher's side, and so it was like a combined effort. It's really tough for an unknown author, comparatively unknown author, to get published uh, in in the, w- the way publishing is today. There used to be expenses for large publishing houses that would uh, that were set aside for you know finding new talent and and uh, helping new talent to get started. That is long gone. There's no such thing. Um, not that I'm aware of anyway I couldn't tap into anything like that so you know I I struggled for about a year to find someone to publish uh, Love, Pride and Murder and I found uh, a publisher Covenant that worked with me and and I think they did a great job together so I'm, I'm satisfied with it as it is.
1: Well you're right about publishing I mean the whole landscape has changed dramatically and the traditional publishers were always difficult to get into but you're right They used to take a chance with unknown authors sometimes. Now you've got to have a track record before they'll even look at you and probably need an agent. A lot of them simply won't take unsolicited work at all because there are alternatives. You know, before that, there really wasn't any alternatives. There was no such thing as self publishing or even hybrid publishing. Those are all fairly new. new inventions, inventions of the internet, I think. But, yeah, yeah,
2: I agree.
1: You know, yeah. it's it's good and bad because on the one hand, it, it gives opportunity to anyone, but the bad side is that it gives opportunity to anyone. And you yeah. have to look at it like that <laughs> right. because yeah. there there is just so much out there. A lot of it is really good and a lot of it is not. And unfortunately yeah. for the consumer... Uh, to wade through all of the sort of garbage to get to the good stuff is a daunting task. Right. You know?
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. There's so many books being published, and mysteries. I think it's probably one of the largest categories that that, uh, that people are likely to find because it's, mysteries are always interesting. Mysteries have have an appeal and, and have a, have had an appeal since you know the days of Sherlock Holmes and some of the early at least in the english-speaking world in the in the uh, early days of of english writing at least that kind of writing um and that that kind of writing has continued today people love mysteries and it's something that is endlessly entertaining and the there there is you know to to not overstate it but there's a lot of drac out there that really isn't worth reading but it's there because people have the money to publish it and they do it themselves and you know, that's, that is, it really is unfair to someone that just wants to read a good book because you really don't know what you're going to get if you, you go to Amazon, you see a title and it looks good and you buy it and it just, you get into maybe 10 pages or 15 pages and it's just not worth reading. And that's a, that's a shame. But, um, but it's also true, as you said, on the flip side, there are a lot of really good writers that uh, really don't have a chance to get started and then they give up and it's a shame because the world has lost something.
1: Well, there was the old saying about don't judge a book by its cover. Unfortunately, yep. this day and age, you need to. Because if you go into <laughs> a bookshop, the, the exciting cover is going to grab your attention yep. if you don't know the yep. author. And if you've noticed, if you go into Barnes & Noble, the more famous the author, the bigger their name is on the cover. In yeah, fact, yeah, yeah. Right, they will yeah. They'll put the name. sure it is. Well, they'll put their name first on the top before yeah. the title of the book. And, you know, that's all marketing. It's all gimmick like that. And so you do have to judge the book by the cover, unfortunately, I think now. Uh, that's not to say that a flashy cover is going to make the content any better, but it will grab no. people's attention.
2: There's a lot of sad truth in that. And, unfortunately, um you know, it makes the marketplace really difficult for somebody that's trying to get started writing. No, it does
1: Well, true enough. Yeah.
2: But one of the nice things, at least for me, is that um, my writing has come, or at least the stage of it has come, uh, later in life. So it is. You're you you are you situated somewhere near Las Vegas? I believe someone was telling me. Yeah, is I'm in Las correct? Vegas. Right yeah well you know people that that i'm not a gambler i wasn't isn't anything that i I was ever interested in but um people will go in and they'll they'll have a certain amount of money they want to spend and they spend it they lose it they leave but a lot of people will go in and they they spend way more money than they should and at this end of my life not that i'm close to the end but i mean at this part of my life i have gone through a lot of things in my life and so I take writing along with a lot of other things uh, for what it is. I don't I don't uh, put all of my money into that one crapshoot um, or anything else for that matter. So it, I, I take it seriously. I enjoy it. I hope people will enjoy what I've written. And uh, if it's successful, then I think that's great and that's what I want. But, you know, if it doesn't pan out, then, eh, you know, I have other things in my life as well.
1: Well, I think that's the right attitude. Uh I don't gamble either but I'll tell you if you want to see a sad sight go into any of the local casinos not the ones on the strip because they're really for tourists but people who live in Las Vegas will go to the ones outside off the strip, the smaller ones Uh, but go in there like on the second of the month and you will see all of these (laughs) senior citizens in there gambling away their social security money and it's really very sad It, it is just pathetically sad
2: yeah I'm sure it is it's uh yeah it's something not just about gamblers but it is something about our society as well I
1: think well is, I mean that's also sad. it's not easy to live on social security alone that's true, but I see these people in wheelchairs at the at the slot machines and you know and it's always the the first or the second of the month you and you know that it's the social security money yeah and it just well, it is a sad statement on our society, I think. But if they're managing to survive at that point in their life and they're having some fun with it, then okay, so be it. I'm not judging. I just look at yeah, it and yeah. kind of I shake enrich- my head, you know. But yeah. Anyways, Dennis, we got to wind this down. Uh, Love, Pride, and Murder is the book is out now.
2: Yes, sir. It is. When, it's been when, out for a few months.
1: Few months. Okay. Uh, you getting some good reviews?
2: Yeah, actually, I've gotten some very good reviews. Um, I haven't had, um, you know, those exalted reviews that people get, New York Times bestseller list, all that kind of stuff. But uh, but the reviews that I've gotten have been very positive, and people have enjoyed it. I I did a a session here locally with a book club and um, sold a bunch of books there myself. And the people just really enjoyed the book. You know, they, they find it exciting. They find the pace is uh is good the mystery at the end is good it has a, a sort of theme that that uh, some people will dig out of it which is there but they don't have to dig it out in order to enjoy the novel so it has a lot of different levels and so far i've had nothing but good reviews i Oh, that's here, well, know.
1: thank you so much for coming on. Last question, and then we'll wrap it up. Do you have a website that you want to give out?
2: I do, but the website is under construction, and it, I'm afraid it would be disappointing if people stumbled across it. So I'm, I'm still working on it, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm not the uh, most tech adept person in the world, so it's taking me a little bit of time to get it to get it going. But they can go to uh, all they have to do if, if they if they want to buy the book. Uh, go online, you can find it, just type in the title and you'll get half a dozen different pages of opportunities to buy.
1: So okay, so it. it's available on Amazon, I assume.
2: Absolutely. Barnes & right. Noble, Goodreads, okay. a bunch of places, Abe's. All right,
1: great. Well, Dennis, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was nice talking to you and uh, best of luck with the book. Thank Hopefully you, it does well
2: Thank you, Douglas. I appreciate being here.